The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. You and I are central to God's plan for reaching the world. Now, I do want to say that doesn't necessarily mean God needs us. God doesn't need anything. He's God, right? Psalms 50 makes it very clear that God doesn't need anything. And if he did, he wouldn't tell us because he's God. Uh, But you see, God has chosen us in his sovereignty to be central to his plan for making his glory known all throughout the earth. A quick skim through the New Testament leaves us with the unambiguous impression that the local church is exceedingly important in God's economy. It makes his gospel visible. It protects the vitality of our faith. It safeguards us from deception, and it grows us in our love. Consequently, a life that is centered on the community of the local church is significantly more likely to be lived strategically in God's sight than a life where the local church languishes in peripheral detail. Uh, One author said the local church is a community of Christians who live as the -the on-the-ground expression of the supremacy of Jesus by advancing his gospel in distance and in depth. And I believe one of the primary testaments to the glory of God to the lost world in the community is the local church community, how the local church lives in community together. Uh, One pastor and author, David Mathis, he says, how we orient towards one another in the same congregation and engage in life together is critical in our effort to stand as lights in the world. Paul said in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 27 through 28, just one thing, he says, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, he's not talking to these people as individuals. He's talking to the local church there in Philippi. He's talking to them as a unit. And he says, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you, this local church, or I'm absent, I will hear about you, this local church, And that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. You see, there's no dichotomy between outreach and inreach. There's no dichotomy between sharing our faith with the world and loving those that are within our local congregation. Uh, The two are profoundly connected, inseparable even. Our shared mission in the world strengthens our life together in the church and our harmony and depth in the church they become powerful forces in our witness to the world you see we're prone to think of ourselves in largely individualistic terms when paul says in these verses let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel we think of that individually but paul doesn't accent individual behaviors but he focuses on the collective harmony and the community of the local church I mean, we see this demonstrated all throughout the pages of the New Testament in what we'll often call the one another passages. Mark 9.50 says, be at peace one with another. Romans 12.6, be of the same mind one with another. Ephesians 4, be kind, be tenderhearted, be forgiving one towards another. 1 Thessalonians 5, seek the good of one another. John 15.12, love one another. Galatians 5.13, serve one another. Ephesians 5, be subject one to another. Bear the burdens of one another, Galatians 6. Comfort one another, 1 Thessalonians 4. Be hospitable, uh, 1 Peter says in 1 Peter 4. On and on we can go. You may not realize this, but four of those one another passages in the Bible are actually about kissing. I really like practicing those ones with my wife. That's probably one of our favorites. But in all seriousness, when Paul talks about gospel conduct, he means the church, the local gathering, the church standing firm in one spirit, in one accord contending for the faith of the gospel. 
You see, community within our local church, that leads us to our theme this morning, community within the church, community reflects the gospel. That's why we as a church living community together is a massive part of how we share the gospel of Jesus. And if community in the church is so obviously important to God, and I cannot believe you can honestly read the New Testament and think it's not, if community is so obviously important to God, it should be important to us too, right? And if it's so important to God, and if community is such a big part of how we share the gospel of Jesus with those who don't know him, I think it's also important that we have a firm understanding of what community looks like. It's important to have a solid biblical understanding of community because if we all have our own ideas and we all uh, think Scripture means different things and we misunderstand Scripture, we won't experience the harmony that God calls us to experience and then it won't serve as lights in the world. Uh, This past few weeks, my wife and I, we've been going through the process of getting a new roof on our house. Now, ideally, when you're getting a new roof, you go through this process before your old roof is no longer effective, right? Uh, That is not the case with us. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, we were upstairs in our bedroom late one Sunday night, and the wind is blowing, and it's pouring down rain, and all of a sudden in our room, we hear this drip, drip, and my heart just sinks. I'm like, oh, man. We go, and we look outside, and several shingles had blown off our roof. So the next day, we called our homeowner's insurance, and we were getting that all squared away, and One of the things our uh, insurance did for us, because the leak was coming inside of our house, they sent out this crew to rip out a part of our ceiling. I think we got a picture of it. This crew ripped out a part of our ceiling where the leak was, part of the wall right there. And then they put these two giant fans. You can see the tubes right to where the leak was. There's actually another fan on the floor that you can't see. And then that big machine there is a dehumidifier. And so this was going on in our room for like three days. And, uh, you know, consequently, we, it was so loud, we were sleeping downstairs. Uh, but one of the things all these machines did in our room was it created this vacuum effect. So when I would close my bedroom door, it literally felt like somebody was on the other side trying to pull it open. I mean, it was such a strong vacuum. And so, so we were sleeping downstairs on our mattress. And I can remember one Monday night, it was a long day. We were cold because downstairs is just colder in our house because we have this tall ceiling. So it's cold. The kids are in bed. We're both wiped. And I have the, uh, the bright idea. I'm going to light a fire in our fireplace. This will keep our living room warm. It'll be a nice way to kind of unwind. This will be a nice way to relax. And so I go about starting a fire, and for the life of me, I cannot get the smoke to go up the chimney. Now, I know the science of how a chimney works. I know it gets hot in the fireplace, and then the hot air rises, and that's what pulls the smoke up the chimney. But I cannot get the smoke to go up, no matter how big I get the fire. And so I'm trying all the tricks, right? I'm getting, like, paper, lighting it on fire, sticking it way up the flue, trying to get the hot air up there. Nothing's working. Well, consequently... If the smoke's not going up the chimney, y'all know where it's going. It's pouring into my living room. And when the smoke's pouring into the living room, now all the fire, uh, smoke detectors in my house are going off. And now my wife and I, we are opening all the doors. We are opening all the windows, which defeats the whole purpose because now we're really cold. And we got these pillows and blankets, and we're trying to you know, pull all the smoke out. And the smoke detectors are going off. Now my kids are waking up. Now they're screaming because there's these loud noises, and I'm getting frustrated. And finally it dawns on me, it's those fans upstairs. That vacuum was so strong, even with our bedroom door closed, it was still pulling the smoke up. So I closed the glass door in our fireplace. I kind of broke up the wood so the fire wasn't very big. Uh, we closed all the doors. I kept one window open, and I'm just kind of there fanning it out, the one window, and it's, it's dying down. Everything's getting calm again. Everything's going back to normal. I think, whew, crisis averted. We're okay. And then my wife, who I love dearly, pray for her. She's home with two sick kids this morning. My wife needed something in our master bathroom, which is in our master bedroom, which is where the vacuum is. And she opens the door to our master bedroom. And at the moment she opened that door, that vacuum effect quadrupled. 
And now I'm standing in front of my fireplace, and literally, no exaggeration, there is flame shooting out my fireplace, there is smoke shooting out my fireplace, there is soot shooting out my fireplace, and I look, and you can see this pillar of smoke and fire. It was like Old Testament status. It's just going straight up to my master bedroom, which means all the smoke detectors are going off again, which means we're opening all the doors again, and the kids are waking up and they're screaming again. And in that moment of frustration, I very loudly said to my wife, close the door, what are you doing? She very calmly responded, you did not tell me to not open our bedroom door. And I'm like, you're right, you did it. But because we misunderstood each other, we were not living in harmonious community in that moment. So as we get our message started this morning, we want to get on the same page so that we can experience the harmony that God not only won for us on the cross, but called us to throughout the New Testament. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter number 15 this morning. Romans chapter number 15 is where we'll be at uh, for the remainder of our service. Uh, if you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read the Word of God together this morning. On your way in, you should have received a service program guide. On the inside, there's an outline you can use to follow along through the message this morning. Also, if you're a guest here, thanks so much for coming. On the inside of your service program, there's a connection card that you can fill out. I'd encourage you to drop that off at the welcome tent out front. The big gray one's got the flags by it. Uh, we have a gift that we like to give you just to say thanks for visiting with us this morning. We're also kicking off our groups this week. This coming Thursday, we're going to kick off our Connection Group Bible Studies again. We'll talk about that in a little minute as well. But Romans 15, verse number 7. The Bible says, therefore, accept one another. Some versions will say receive. Therefore, accept. Therefore, receive one another. Just as Christ also has accepted or has received you to the glory of God. Let's pray, then we're going to jump into our message. Community is central. Father, we thank you so much for the way that you have accepted and received us. And Lord, we recognize because of our sin, we don't deserve it. We deserve to be eternally separated from you. But in love, you came and you died so that we could have a relationship back with you. And I pray that as our hearts are filled with your love, it would spill over into this amazing love that we can experience in our church family. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Now this morning, as we begin to unpack this idea of biblical community and what it is and what it looks like, I think it's absolutely vital that we start with what makes community possible. That's our first point this morning. What makes community possible? Well, right in the middle of verse number seven, we see just as Christ has accepted you. You see, every human being, regardless of where they're from or how they're raised, every human being has this deep longing in their heart to be fully known and to be fully loved. We want to be fully known and fully loved. But because of the fall, because of sin, there's this tension. This tension causes us to fear being fully known. I think that's partly why kids will sometimes behave better for people they don't know as well as their parents. All of you parents can relate to this. My wife and I, we've got four kids. Uh, our oldest three are really rambunctious. They are a handful. We love them to death, but they keep us on our toes. The jury is still out on the baby, right? Uh, but because they're all rambunctious, very rarely do we take all of them out in public at the same time. My brave wife, she took all four of them to Costco the other day. And I was like, you are Wonder Woman, because that is more than I would want to do. Uh, but anyway, so last week, we're, we were ministering at a church down in Riverside County. We were helping them get their connection group Bible study started. And uh, our, the plan was to meet the assistant pastor for dinner at a restaurant Saturday night. And so this is the first time all six of us have gone out to a restaurant because taking little kids to a restaurant, I mean, if you have, if you have kids, you know, it's like a zoo on wheels in public. Um, and so we, we were taking them all down. And on the way to the restaurant, Sarah's giving our kids the rundown, right? Like, okay, we're going to go in there. We're going to eat. There will be no running in the restaurant. There will be no yelling or screaming in the restaurant. 
There will be no throwing your food. There will be no crying if your nuggets are not shaped in the dinosaurs you want in the restaurant. There'll be no getting out of your seat. There's no running around. And right in the middle of her giving this rundown, our two-year-old Michael, he goes, and there'll be no farting. And I was like, yes, Michael, there will be no farting. I looked over at Sarah and I was like, if that's all they do, I'm going to be happy. That's totally fine. But the amazing thing about our kids is as rambunctious as they are, whenever somebody new watches them, they always say the same thing. Oh, your kids are such angels. And I'm like, so is Lucifer. You don't know my kids, right? My kids are nuts. What are you talking about? Because they're afraid to fully express themselves around people they don't know very well. I feel bad for our, the regular babysitter because they, they know her really well and they fully express themselves around her. But in all seriousness, let's pick on us as parents for a minute. I mean, in public, we can be like Mary Poppins, right? Calm, cool, whimsical parents. At home, we become Russian dictators. And it's like, what happened? I think sometimes this is why we put so many filters on our photos, right, on social media. And we only post the highlights. I mean, very rarely do you see this mom who's pulling her hair out with dirty diapers in the background and a bunch of screaming kids and it's like saying, I love my life right now. It's so great. No, we only post the good stuff. We only post the highlights because we're afraid of what people might think of the real us. We struggle to be authentic with people because we're afraid that if people get to know the real me, they won't like me. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to be authentic and transparent. If they knew the real Nick, they might reject me. But church, here's what I want to remind us of. In Christ, we are fully and completely known and yet fully and completely loved. I love 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has given to us that we should be called God's children, and we are. What amazing love God has given to us. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. Your ability to fellowship with God and experience complete acceptance was won for you at Calvary and given to you as a gift of God's grace at the moment you put your faith in him. In Christ, loneliness and rejection are dispelled. You see, Jesus knows absolutely everything about you. There are no secrets. You are totally and completely known. The person who knows, or the person who matters most, knows most. The person whose judgment is all important, he knows everything. Let that sink in for a minute. You are totally known. You've never had a feeling, you've never had a thought, you've never had a twitch in your brain, your mind, or your heart that God hasn't completely known about. God knows the parts of you that you've so carefully hidden. He knows the parts about my life, the parts about your life, that we would be horrified if they got put up on these screens. He knows your hidden insecurities. He knows your secret faults. He knows where you struggle with pride. He knows where you're insecure. He knows the parts about your life that you don't want anybody else to know about. He knows where you've totally failed. And yet, he declares over you, loved. You are mine. I know all the ugly stuff about you, and I love you, and I accept you because Jesus Christ won that acceptance for you on the cross. He totally and completely loves you. He declares over you, you are accepted in my beloved. You are God's beloved. Jesus has loved and accepted you before the foundations of the world, Ephesians 4, 1.4 says. He knew about the failures that would happen. He knew about the sins that you would commit. And he says, you are mine. You are loved. I love you. You are accepted. You are loved. He knows all the things about you that make you feel less, but he declares over you loved, accepted, mine. You're mine. I love you. You're my child. Where does community begin? It begins in Christ. It begins with allowing Christ to accept you. Yes, for our justification, but also allowing that reality to hit your heart day after day after day after day. In church, when the world tells you that you're not enough, when people reject you, when you feel like an outcast, 
when you feel like everyone around you has their life all together and you feel like yours is falling apart, when you feel alone, when you feel hurt and betrayed, let the truth of God's word that you are accepted be the most real and loud truth in your life. Authentic community begins with fellowship in Christ. It begins with accepting and experiencing his total love and acceptance of you. The only way we can live in the type of community that we see modeled all throughout the New Testament is by living and enjoying and savoring the love and acceptance that Christ has given to us. And when we're, when we're letting that truth, the truth that we're loved and accepted, be the most real and impactful truth in our life, it produces this level of satisfaction. It produces this level of acceptance, this level of peace and security in your heart. Where even if people reject you, you're like, oh, it's okay. Because I am so full of Christ's love, there's so much acceptance there, I can't even really feel rejection from anybody else. It's like after Thanksgiving, you're so full of food, you can't imagine eating another bite. That's how full of God's love and acceptance he wants you to be. So full of his love and acceptance that when people reject you or treat you worse than you should be treated, you're just loved. All you can feel is love and acceptance because it's coming from him. When you're really letting this hit your heart, you begin to experience peace that passes understanding. You begin to really know what it means, love unspeakable and full of glory. And you'll find when this peace, this love, this acceptance is hitting your heart, you're no longer fighting for acceptance or satisfaction or validation from other people. Because you already have it in Christ. You already have that validation from Christ, so you don't, you don't need to fight to get it from somebody else. You don't need to fight to get that validation from anybody else because you have it all in Christ. And as our hearts begin to experience this, our text tells us that we are going to accept one another. We know this is hitting home in our lives because our lives become conduits of God's amazing love. What makes biblical community possible? The love of Jesus. But now let's take a look at what does biblical community look like? What does community look like? It looks like a group of people who love like Jesus. A group of people who love each other unconditionally, with no strings attached, with no ulterior motives. I'm just going to love you because we're family. C.H. Spurgeon, one of my favorite uh, pastors of yesteryear, I, I, I was joking in the first service, I think I probably quote him in every sermon I preach, but he said on this text, he says, Christ did not receive us because we were perfect or because he could see no fault in us or because he hoped to gain something from us. Not at all. But in loving condescension, he covered our faults and sought our good and welcomed us into relationship with him. So in the same way and with the same purpose, we as Christians must receive one another. Now, oftentimes when I talk about loving people and accepting people unconditionally, our guards go up, don't they? Because we're so good at self-preservation. We're so good at making sure that we could take care of ourselves. I mean, I can remember when my wife and I first got married. That first year, we tried to read a lot of books on marriage because we're both like, we don't know what we're doing. We got a lot to learn, so we would read a lot of books. And honestly, it felt like the more we read, the more we would fight. I mean, I would say things like, you know, if you would be more loving, then I would be more respecting. And she would reply, well, if you would be more respectable, and if you would be more loving, I would respect you. And round and round and round we would go. The more we read, the more we fought. You're not speaking my love language. You're not cracking the communication code. You're not talking the way I like. And it would just go round and round and round. The more we read, the more we fought. And it wasn't until the truth of this verse really hit us in our hearts. It wasn't until we learned that God's, we were so, it wasn't until our hearts were so full of God's love that any of that other information was helpful. In any earthly relationship, unless your heart is so full of God's love, it's very difficult to love without expecting anything in return. But when your heart is so full, I'm free to love my wife, I'm free to love you, 
and not worry about whether or not it's going to be reciprocated. I am free to love. I am free to give. I am free to sacrifice. Even if you don't give it back, even if you don't love back, even if you don't sacrifice back, I am free to love because my heart is so full of his love. What does community look like? It looks like an environment where people love like Jesus, with no strings attached, with no promise of anything in return. And there's three specific ways I want to look at this morning that this manifests itself throughout Scripture. There's lots more that we could look at throughout the New Testament, but there's three big ones that I think are a big theme throughout the New Testament that I want to look at this morning. And the first one is this. When we are living in community within the context of a local church, we become family. We become family. Paul told the church at Rome in Romans 12.10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. You see, when collectively our hearts are so full of God's love, it, create, it creates this environment where we become family, where we act like family. Because there's so much love and there's so much acceptance it's like, you're my brother and you're my sister. It's just the natural response. Rosaria Butterfield said, the family of God is the most important family. And when you are experiencing the soul level love and acceptance from God, you're free to love others deeply as your own blood family because you recognize the blood of Christ runs deeper than even the family blood. The blood of Christ runs deeper and we are the eternal family. And because of that, we love each other as brothers and sisters. Romans tells us that this looks like an environment where people are just not naturally trying to outdo one another in honor. Not like trying to one-up each other because they have ulterior motives or they want to think they're the best or whatever. It's just we're naturally trying to show one another honor, outdo one another in honor and kindness and love because we're family, church. We are family. I think we would all would say, I want to experience that type of environment. I think we would all also say that the world desperately needs to see that type of environment. I mean, the world separates, the world divides, the world argues. If you think even the tiniest thing differently, it's like we can't even be in the same room if we don't look like each other, if we don't talk like each other, if we don't think like each other. No, 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 we're, we're, we're enemies. But Jesus says in Christ, your family. D.A. Carson said the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not our common education, it's not our common race, it's not our common income levels, it's not politics, ancestry, accents, jobs, or anything else of that sort. He says, in this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. We're family, church. Yes, we look different. Yes, we think different. Yes, we probably smell different. <laughs> but we're family. And yeah, we got our crazy uncles. Yes, we have the aunt who wears too much perfume and hugs us when we don't want to be hugged, but charts, we're family. We are family. One of the reasons I love hosting our connection group in our home is because we're family. And we study the word together. We apply those, the, the preached word that we hear every week together. We pray with each other. We cry with each other. We celebrate with each other. We get frustrated at our kids with each other. We talk about how awesome our kids are with each other. We're family, so we just do life together, and we're always in each other's homes. Why? Because we are family. We love each other as family. And when we're living in the context of community within a local church, it looks like family. Family that runs deeper than any blood connection could ever produce. So yes, we become family, but we also can be accountable to one another. We're accountable to each other. Uh, people love to quote James 5.16, but oftentimes people only quote the second half of the verse. So, and it's, it's a great verse on prayer. It says the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. We quote that verse, and rightfully so. But it's interesting how often we skip the first part. The first part says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. 
the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. You see, when there's this environment of love and acceptance that's flowing from Christ, sin can readily be confessed and dealt with. When I'm experiencing the full love and acceptance of God, I am free to confess my sin to you. Because God already accepts me. I don't, I don't have to be worried about whether or not you're going to accept me or reject me. I am free to confess. And because of the love and acceptance of Christ, when someone confesses their sin to me, I'm free from judgment. Because I know God loves this person. God died for this person. God dealt with this sin on the cross. So I'm not going to heap more judgment on them. God already judged Jesus for that sin. When there's this environment where we're so full of the love of Christ and we're family, we're like brothers and sisters. You could go up to your brother. You could go up to your sister and say, hey, would you pray for me? I am really struggling with this right now. I've got this sin in my life, and I know victory was won for me at the cross, but would you pray for me that I would experience that victory? Yes, Christ won victory for us on the cross, but he also said the way we experience that victory is by praying for each other, is by confessing to other people so they could pray that you would experience that victory. I love our Saturday morning uh, men's group, and sometimes the guys that are in there, some of you guys are in here now, we know it gets real in that group. Like we got the lesson, we're ready to go, and it's like 45 minutes before we even get into it. Because a brother will come into that group and we'll just be like, guys, would you pray for me? I'm struggling. Guys, would you speak into this issue in my life? And then the other guys, there's no judgment. There's no condensation. There's just, yeah, love and there's prayer and there's opening the scriptures and there's looking at it. It's like 45 minutes later and then we get to the lesson. Why? Because in Christ, we're free to confess. It's not the only reason, but I think one of the reasons Christians struggle with besetting sins is because we don't give others the opportunity to pray for our victory over that sin. Yeah, Jesus won for you victory at the cross. That is a reality that we rejoice in, we sing about, and we celebrate. But Jesus also said the way you experience that is by confessing so that other people can pray for you. You may be like, well, I don't have this big gross sin to confess. One, maybe you do and you're just not aware of it. But guys, you need to be praying for other people too. You need to be in community because you have a brother or sister who needs your prayers. You have a brother or sister who's struggling, and they might struggle and struggle and struggle until their group gets around them and prays for them. So we need to be in community so people can pray for us, but we need to also be in community so we can be praying for other people. Confess your sins and pray so you can be healed. God's like, I want you to experience healing over that sin. I want you to get it right. I want you to live in the victory I have won for you. We need to pray for each other so that we can do that. And when there's this environment of love and acceptance, we're free to confess. That's authentic accountability. It's not bombarding somebody being like, where were you last night at 11.32 p.m.? What were you thinking? No, no. Accountability is authentically saying, I'm loving you, and I'm praying for you, and I'm going to keep praying for you, and I'm going to check in with you, and I'm going to pray with you and pray with you until you experience healing. When we're living in an environment within the context of a church, we become family. We can be accountable to each other. And third, letter C, we can watch out for one another. We watch out for one another. I love Hebrews 10, 23, 24, and 25 says, let us. He's talking to the corporate gathering. He's talking to the, the collective body. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Since he who promised is faithful. Aren't you glad God is faithful? The reason we can hold on is because God is faithful. He goes on and says, because God is faithful, let us, plural, collective, unit, body, let us watch out for one another. Because God is faithful, church, we can watch out for one another. We can have each other's back because we're family. We're brothers and sisters, and we love each other. We're no strings attached. Because of that, we got each other's back. 
let us watch out for one another and provoke to love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. That's why it's important that we show up. I need to show up so I can watch out for you. I need to show up so you can watch out for me. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Church, we need each other. I don't have to convince you life is hard. I feel like ever since November, our church has just gone through it, and we've been hit after hit after hit. It feels like as a body, we've just been raked over the coals. And I know many of you are still even struggling with different health trials and just loss. And it's just, it's hard. As a church, we are going through some hard, hard things. But here's the beauty. It's been amazing, even though some of us are walking through what is undoubtedly the hardest situation we'll ever have to walk through in our life. It's amazing to watch through it all the church be the church. It's been amazing to watch so many people rallying around people in their groups, people in the church, because we're family, watching out for another, people rallying around each other, walking through people through some of the darkest, most difficult circumstances, walking with people through the valley of the shadow of death, just like Jesus, walking through people. We see people caring for one another. We see people making meals. We see people taking those late night phone calls, staying up late, being a shoulder to cry on. There's been people who literally is like, I'm going to stay the night with you. Because somebody just didn't want to be alone at night. So they're like, you don't have to be alone. I'll stay over. People just watching out for each other, caring for one another, organizing care, organizing babysitting, organizing meals, sharing scripture, praying for one another, praying scripture over one another. The church being the church. Yeah, it's hard. But it's amazing when the church is the church. The love and the care and the support that happens. Uh, one of our members told my wife a few weeks ago, she said this, I really believe that God is seriously lavishing his love on us, and I can feel the fervent prayers. I truly feel like we are experiencing what it is to be prayed for. She said this is by no means something easy to go through, but I genuinely, genuinely believe that the prayers of his people are being felt. I feel like my life is being sustained by God through prayers. Like this is what it means to be loved by his people and what it means to pray for one another. Yeah, church life is hard. Temptation is strong and sin is real, but the body of Christ is stronger. It is stronger. And it is vital that we live in community. It's vital that we be in a connection group Bible study so that we can watch out for one another. We need relationships that constantly point us back to Jesus. We need people in our life who, when we are in the depths of despair, can lovingly come down to our level, bear our burden, and point us back to Jesus. We need to watch out for one another. When we need relationships that point us back to Christ, there's this richness of life that comes when you live in community within a local church that just can't be found anywhere else. Galatians 6.10 nails it on the head. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Yes, we work, we sacrifice, we labor, and we love so those who don't know Christ can come to know Christ. But Galatians is telling us there's another level of love. There's another level of sacrifice. There's another level of love and giving and care and watching out for one another for those that are in our church, especially to those who belong to the household of faith. You see, community flows from a deep experience of unconditional love and acceptance of Christ. It looks like family. It looks like confession. It looks like watching out for each other. Now, finally, let's look at what does community accomplish? 
What does community accomplish? Like we said at the beginning, community reflects the gospel. Our text in Romans 15 tells us plainly to do this for the glory of God. And throughout scripture, we see the glory of God's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. It's supposed to be the driving force in everything that we do. It's supposed to be the source and sum of all of our joy. But if we were to be honest, and I was to ask a lot of us, what is the glory of God? We'd be like, uh. Because sometimes we talk about it in these vague, amb- amb- ambiguous terms. And we just kind of leave it here, this, like, this realm where it's never clearly defined. And it can be hard to define sometimes. What is the glory of God? But I love how one pastor put it. He said, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. The manifest beauty, it's his beauty being put on display. It's his holiness being put on display. It's his uniqueness being put on display. The glory of God is going public with the fact that God is unique, and he is in a category all on his own. You and I cannot be rightfully compared to God. It's not like I can say, I'm a one and God's like a million. We're not even on the same scale. He is totally unique and totally in a category all on his own, and when we say this glorifies God, What we mean is we are going public. We are demonstrating to the lost world how God is good and how God is unique and how God is worthy of all of our worship. When we allow our lives to be conduits of God's love toward each other, even though we come from different backgrounds, and the world, they draw so many lines, don't they? They draw a line based on your color of your skin. They draw a line based on where you're from. They draw a line based on where you work, based on where you live. Like you're from the right side of the tracks, you're from the wrong side of the tracks. They draw a line based on how much money you make. They draw a line based on how you vote. But when we as a church come together and we love each other, despite those different backgrounds, despite the fact that we look different, despite the fact that we think different, despite the fact that we vote different, despite the fact that we talk different, despite the fact that we have different worldviews, when we come together as a church and we love each other like Jesus, with no strings attached, that is a visible demonstration of the love of God to the world. The world should look at the church and be like, there's some things they believe that I don't know about, but I cannot argue with the way they love each other. And when the world sees that type of genuine love, they're hungry for it, and they want it. When we allow our lives to be conduits of God's love and acceptance towards one another, God is glorified. Why? Because it points a lost world to the unconditional love of our Savior. Jesus says in John 13, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another one another. You love the guy sitting on the other side of the building. If you love one another. You see, the way the church loves one another is to be a visible representation to the way Jesus loves the world. It's demonstrating the uniqueness of God. This is demonstrating why God is unique and why God is different and why he's worthy for us to give everything towards. Sometimes people say, well, you're either all about reaching people or you're all about trying to glorify God as if there was a difference. It's like, well, you're either going to be about reaching out or reaching in. It's going to be about the lost or it's going to be about the church, as if we had to make that choice. When you read throughout the pages of the New Testament, you see the way we reach the lost is by loving each other. (laughs) That's partly why we as a church, we do our outreach through our Connection Group Bible studies. Because as we tell people Jesus loves you, we want them to see in a very real and tangible way that Jesus loves them. When they say two people getting along who shouldn't be getting along and two people loving each other who shouldn't be loving each other, when they see that and then we tell them Jesus loves them, they're going to be like, there's something different about that love. There's something different about it. I mean, if all we do is say Jesus loves you, but then we separate and we fight and we divide just like the world does, that's not glorifying God. And there's no difference. 
The way the church loves each other is to be a visible representation to the way the world, or to, way, to the world the way Jesus loves the world. Uh, Mark Dever said this, as this love within the family, he's a pastor in Washington, D.C., he says, as this love within the family of faith burns brightly, it becomes a primary witness to the truth of the gospel. When we're loving each other and living in harmony and living in unity and living in biblical community, we will reach people. We will glorify God. Because they will see God's love on display, and they will want it. They will want to be a part of it. That's why community is such a big deal, because it reflects the gospel. It glorifies God because it looks like Jesus. It demonstrates why God is good, why he is unique, why he is worthy. He takes enemies, and he makes them family. He takes people with no natural affinity, and he gives them the great, greatest natural affinity ever, Jesus. They should look at us and be like, man, uh, there's some things I don't know about, but the way you guys love, it's real. And my soul is hungry for that. This is why connection groups are such a big deal around here. Because they give us an environment to live in this type of community. Uh, Mark Dever, he, he said this as well. He says, as heat inevitably radiates from fire, heat's going to come from fire. There's no arguing that. He says, unity and diversity flows inexorably from the gospel of Jesus. But does this mean we should sit lazily back and expect people with all different personalities and backgrounds to love each other automatically? Not at all. In fact, shortly after Paul establishes that it's God alone who unites Jew and Gentile in the Ephesian church, the city of Ephesus, they were, they were pretty racist. <laughs> they would separate. This is where the Jews live. This is where the Gentiles live. And they didn't talk to each other. They didn't work together. They weren't friends. And then Paul comes along and he tells this church that God unites Jew and Gentile. He tells them in Ephesians 4, Three, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Yes, the gospel produces this amazing unity, but he tells us it's up to us and the power of the Spirit to maintain it. Connection group Bible studies are so vital because they give us an environment where we can maintain the unity that the gospel produces. I think Sunday morning services are vital. I will preach that till the day I die. We need to sit under the preaching of the Word of God. That is vital. It is a huge part of our faith. We cannot neglect that. We can never get rid of it. But I will also say this. You can come in here and sit under the preaching week after week after week after week and hide. You can sit here week after week after week and be faithful to showing up to every Sunday morning service and not let anybody get to know you. And if nobody knows you, we can't live like family. We can't keep each other accountable. We can't watch out for one another. We can't pray for one another. We can't put any practical expression to our love if we don't know each other. We can sit in this service and hide and we'll miss being a part of the mission of God. But I'll say this, when you get locked and loaded in a connection group Bible study, you're going to begin to experience the church in a way unlike any other. I want you to imagine being a part of a group of people who are dedicated to helping each other live this kind of life having a circle of friends in your life who are dedicated to helping you know Jesus, dedicated to helping you love Jesus, dedicated to helping you live like Jesus, who won't judge you when you fall, who won't judge you when you sin, but they'll pray for you. In Galatians 6, when it says to bear one another's burdens, the burdens it's telling us to bear is the result of somebody else's sin. So when somebody's dealing with burdens from our sin, imagine having people come alongside you and help lift up that burden and pray for you and point you back to Jesus. Imagine being a part of a group of people who are dedicated to helping you love like Jesus so that the lost world can come to know Jesus, and then they can experience the love of Jesus. Community reflects 
the gospel. Community reflects your go- the gospel. Inside your service program, there's a flyer that I'm actually ask, ask everybody to take out at this time. Uh, this flyer is going to help you register for a connection group Bible study. Uh, it's got a link on there. It's got a QR code on there. If you're really tech savvy, uh, if you've got an iPhone, just hold your camera over it and the link will pop up. Uh, but it's, it's, it's going to help you register for Connection Group Bible Study. On that registration page, it lists out all of our different connection groups. It tells you when and where they're going to meet. And this semester, uh, we're kicking off this Thursday. We're not going to have our usual prayer and reflection right now because I wanted to take a minute and talk about this coming Thursday. This Thursday at 7 o'clock, we are kicking off a brand new semester of Connection Group Bible Studies. And we're actually going to host a unique service. Uh, we're going to have all of the groups meet here on campus this Thursday at 7 o'clock. It's going to be a lot of fun. I promise you are not going to want to miss it. We have some unique things, unique things planned uh, for the service. Our kids are going to have a great kids program that I promise you they're not going to want to miss. That's going to be a lot of fun. The teens are going to have a kickoff party uh, down in the teen room. They're not going to want to miss it. Uh, all the groups are going to have dinner ready for you, and we're also going to have a dessert buffet here at the church. I mean, come on, a dessert buffet, a buffet of food that's really bad for you but tastes really good. If you're on a diet, Thursday needs to be your cheat day. Uh, In all seriousness, you're not going to want to miss Thursday night. It's going to be an awesome time. Uh, Yes, we, as a church, we're made up of individual groups, but I think it's great if every now and then we can come together as many groups and remind ourselves, while we are many groups, we are one church. And we're going to kick off a brand new semester. It's going to be fantastic. Um, I know many of us have childcare and it's a school night, so all the services, it's all going to be wrapped up right at 8. Kids is going to be done at 8, teens is going to be done at 8, we'll be done in here at 8. If you don't need childcare and you want to hang out till 10, have at it. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave the door open for you. Um, but have at it. But seriously, Thursday night is going to be awesome. It's a night you will not want to miss. We're going to come together as one big family and I believe kick off a great semester. I'm excited to see how God is going to grow us in our love. I'm excited to see how we're going to grow in watching out for one another and becoming family. So here's the takeaway for this morning's message. Come this Thursday (laughs) and lock arms in a connection group Bible study. Come this Thursday and lock arms in a connection group. Community reflects the gospel. Make the decision today that you are going to intentionally place yourself into community through a connection group Bible study. Come this Thursday. It's going to be fantastic, and I believe it's going to be one of the greatest semesters that we've ever had as a church. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.